Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 19 through 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he went to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistine and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him, and great riches will give him his daughter and make the father's house in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away, turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent them for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight for this, with this Philistine. And Saul, and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, he, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he arose against me, and I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine sh- shall be like one of your own, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw and the lion and the, from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on the head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he put his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from his brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The word of the Lord. Just a reminder that um, uh, after service today, we will begin our Lenten uh, services. And so I want to just uh, encourage all of you to uh, stick around. Um, we are going to be uh, considering uh, for this Lenten season um, the theme of stones. Uh, the stones appear quite frequently in the scriptures, sometimes as weapons. Uh, as a metaphor for the hardness of hearts, even as a sign and promise of eternal life. And so during Lent, 
uh, we want to consider some of these images, such as the stone tablet of God's covenantal promises, stones set up as reminders of God's faithfulness, rejected stones that became the cornerstone, stones that are dropped in recognition of sins, the call to be living stones, and the stones that will cry, cry out in praise if we fail to do so. And then on uh, Easter Sunday, we'll hear about a stone that was taken away. And so uh, I hope you'll stick around and uh, have some time of fellowship, uh, eat lunch together, and then to uh, learn together uh, as we uh, consider uh, this theme. Uh, one other quick announcement I want to uh, alert you to. Um, Peter and uh, Amy, if you guys could just stand up real quick just for one sec. Uh, they recently got engaged, and so I just want to congratulate them. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this special day um, that we can be together to worship together uh, as we uh, ordain and install uh, Joe uh, into uh, the service to the ministry of uh, Elder. And so we thank you for this day. And God, help us now to hear your word and the hearing to be strengthened, to be encouraged, and to be obedient uh, to that word. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the day that we will be uh, ordaining and installing uh, Joe Kang to the office of ruling elder uh, to serve on the session of our church. And so uh, I wanted to ask the children here today uh, a few questions. Uh, As some of you may have heard or have uh, read uh, from the email that Pastor Dohi sent out explaining uh, that in our church, there are two kinds of elders. One is called the minister of the word and sacrament, who is also sometimes called the teaching elder. Children, do you know who the teaching elder is in our church? Who's the teaching elder in our church? Do you know? Anybody? Nobody knows who the teaching elder in our church is? Jamie? That's right. It's me. It's me. Um, so um, I have the job um, of teaching and preaching the Word of God, and I get to administer uh, baptism and communion for our church. Do you know what the second kind of elder is called in our church? There's teaching elders, and there's a second kind of elders. Do you know what that is? Anybody? Children? Who said that? Very good. Good job, Caleb. Yes, ruling elders. The second group are called ruling elders. And they make sure that the church is working properly and thriving. Now... Do you know who the ruling elders in our church that are serving right now? Do you know who they are? Huh? Daddy, that's right. Mr. Chan is one. Who are the others? Mr. Joe is going to become one. That's good. That's good. Grayson? Emily's mom. Emily's mom. Yes, that's right. Miss Yuna, Emily's mom. Jamie? Your mom. That's right. Miss how about someone who's not related to? Uh, so we got Mr. Chan, we got Miss Yuna, we got Miss Jenny. There's one more. 
Just one more. Yeah. Mr. Norm. That's right. Very good. So those are the four ruling elders in our church. And so all the elders, those four ruling elders and me, the teaching elder, the five of us, and plus today we're going to add uh, Mr. Joe as the fifth ruling elder. We all work together to order the life of the church so that the ministry of the whole people of God may flourish. In other words, our special job, their special job, is to help the whole church to do their part in building Jesus' church. They don't do it by themselves. They don't do it by themselves. They help everyone to do it together, and that includes everybody. Everybody has a part to play in building up Jesus' church. This is what the Bible says about elders. In 1 Timothy, it says, If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are preconditions. A leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible, and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be over fond of wine, not pushy, but gentle, not thin-skinned, not money-hungry. He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if anyone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new believer, lest the position go to his head and the devil trip him up. Outsiders must think well of him, or else the devil will figure out a way to lure him into his trap. A very similar list appears in Titus 1, and the two lists, along with our book of order, highlight character rather than skill, reputation rather than accomplishment, trustworthiness, not charisma, in the election and service as an elder. Ruling elders are so named not because they rule or lord it over the congregation, but because they are chosen by the congregation to discern and measure the fidelity of the word of God and to strengthen and nurture the life of the church in its faith and love. I think the best summary and description of what an elder is called to do is found in Acts 20, 28, where the Apostle Paul tells the elders at Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. An elder is someone who is called upon to pay careful attention not only to, their, to themselves, and their own spiritual well-being, but the spiritual well-being of the church, the needs of the flock, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so in thinking and in praying about today's ordination service, the reading that was strongly impressed upon me uh, was the passage you just heard, a passage that should be familiar to all of you. In the first 18 verses, which we didn't get to hear, the nation of Israel and the Philistines have gathered on opposite sides of the Valley of Elah, and much like the fight between Hector and Achilles in the Iliad, 
Goliath has challenged the armies of Saul to choose a champion to face him in single combat to decide the battle rather than you know, having both armies battle each other. Goliath is described as a very tall man, and depending on the translation, he's somewhere between six foot nine and nine foot something. The Guinness Book of World Records lists Robert Wadlow as the tallest known modern man at eight foot eleven. So Goliath would be at least as tall as Kevin Durant, who is six foot nine, or possibly taller than anybody that we know about. But more impressive than his height, according to the Bible, is his battle gear. Three entire verses are devoted to describing his armor and the weapons that he carries, which are the latest in state-of-the-art technology in warfare. He appears and is described as undefeatable. In contrast, David is described as an insignificant shepherd. He's no warrior. His three older brothers are serving in the army, but as the youngest of eight sons, David is not. In fact, he's not even called a man, but is called a lad or a youth, a teenager. People who are not familiar with the Bible, even they have heard the story of David and Goliath. It's usually told as an underdog story, and who doesn't love an underdog story? It's the story of Rocky Balboa, the Karate Kid, Kung Fu Panda, and Slumdog Millionaire. It's the 69 Mets, the 1980 men's Olympic hockey team, every Cinderella team that has played in the NCAA tournament, it's cadet James Kirk facing the Kobayashi Maru test. It's the Buffalo Bills <laughs> against pretty much anybody. <laughs> the, appeal, the appeal of the story for the world is that it suggests that victory is possible under seemingly impossible odds that if you are scrappy enough, that if you are resourceful and clever, possess supreme self-confidence, you can overcome the giants in your life. That is a good story, but that is not the story of the Bible. If it were only about self-reliance, there would be no need for faith or of God. Maybe you can read the rest of the story and the outcome of the battle uh, with your children tonight when you go home. But this morning, I want to just focus on the five smooth stones that David picks up from the brook and what it tells us about David and what it might teach us about the work that we are called to do. First, David picking up these stones tells us that we can serve God despite our mixed motivations. Though David is remembered as a man after God's own heart, thanks in part to a great PR team, David is not perfect. His decision to fight Goliath was motivated at least in part by potential material rewards. David hears that the king will enrich the man who kills Goliath with great riches and will give him his daughter and make him make his father's house free. He hears this three times and asks twice to hear about this again. 
There's nothing wrong in wanting to be wealthy or to marry a princess or to take care of your family. But we want to acknowledge at least that David's motivation is not entirely pure or concerned only with God's honor. And then when David is brought before Saul, he misleads Saul about his exploits. It's kind of like exaggerating on your resume or at a job interview. The challenge that Goliath has put out is for close combat. And so David highlights that fact that he has fought lions and bears, grabbing them by the beard and striking them in close hand-to-hand combat. He's not lying exactly, but he's also not being completely honest. He's not divulging his plan that he's not going to fight Goliath that way, that he will be using stones fired as projectiles from a distance. Now, some have suggested that this was a brilliant ploy on David's part. He approaches the Philistine holding a staff in one hand as if he's going to fight him with his club against the sword. And he puts the stones in his pouch to hide them, to hide his intent. Others, however, have called out David and his tactics as a cheap shot, a sucker punch. It's like everyone agreed that this was going to be a boxing match and David goes all mixed martial arts on him with kicks and wrestling moves. In military terms, they had agreed that this was going to be a fight, a fair fight between infantry, but David is using artillery. Artillery against standing infantry, no matter how heavily armored, is like shooting fish in a barrel, and Goliath really has no chance. So we wonder, is it a shrewd tactic, or is it a cheap shot? I think like David, we also have mixed motivations. We also tend to exaggerate, to deflect. We hide, or we shade the truth. But if you are waiting to serve to go on a mission trip or do any sort of ministry when your motives have become pure or when you are spiritually holy enough, you will end up doing nothing. That day will never come. I think it's okay for us to acknowledge our lack of purity. That it's okay to go on a mission trip, for example, knowing that it's going to be fun. That it will help your own soul as well as those that you are going to serve. Don't use your lack of purity as an excuse for inaction. You are always going to have mixed motivations. But we also discover about David that despite those mixed motivations, his overarching motivation is for God. When he comes upon the battle scene, he is appalled at the armies of the living God, and therefore God has been insulted and defied for 40 days, and the armies of God have done nothing. He's overcome by indignation, and he chooses to act. And you and I have that same choice. Instead of being fearful or complaining about what others are not doing, you can do something. There's always work and ministry to be done. There's always a way to serve. Secondly, David's choice of five stones tells us 
that our particular and unique history and past experiences has prepared us and can guide us in the work that is set before us. David did not live his life preparing to fight Goliath. He did not study military strategy at an elite military school. He did not train in hand-to-hand combat and jiu-jitsu. He had no idea that this day would come upon him. He didn't know that protecting sheep and fighting lions and bears was a little bit like waxing on and waxing off. And that his courage was being forged in private in battles no one saw for an event that he had no idea was coming. The courage to fight Goliath is not magical and out of the blue. It was character developed over a long period of time through experiences like defending sheep against predators. So when Saul gives him his armor to dress him up as a mini Saul, David refuses it because he is not used to it. In other words, David will not go about his task as someone else. He will, def- he will go as himself. He will use his own weapons in the skills that he uniquely possesses. Likewise, each of you has been given a unique set of experiences and talents. And maybe you didn't understand what that was for or what that is for now. But I believe that God will use those particular experiences, the skills that you are learning now, for some other greater and future purpose. Maybe for today. You have to serve God in the ways that God has uniquely and creatively equipped you with your temperament, with your personality. Much like we learned over the last several months about the sacred pathways and the unique spiritual temperaments that we have in the love and the worship of God, each of us, ordained or not, brings a unique set of life experiences, a particular spiritual formation and understanding of God that we can serve God. Serve not as someone else would, but as you and only you can. Because the church, this church, needs your particular gifts your particular experiences to more fully do the work of God. Third, David's choice of five stones tells us that his choice for this task to fight was not a reckless decision, but rather a well-thought-out and well-prepared response. David could have picked up just any old rough stone along the road, but he chose five smooth stones. He knows from experience that smooth stones can be fired with greater velocity and accuracy. He also has enough humility to know that he might miss. So having a few extra stones in his pocket is a good backup plan. But even before he picks up the stones, you notice that David takes care of his other responsibilities. He first leaves the sheep that he is responsible for with a keeper so that he can run his errands of bringing provisions to his brothers. Then, when he wanted to see Goliath, he leaves the provisions that he has brought with him with the keeper of the baggage. He responsibly frees himself from other duties so that he can focus more fully on the duty ahead. Taking care of sheep and delivering provisions 
to his brothers are important tasks, but he could not go into battle if he did not release those duties. Every service we render to God is important, whether it's setting up chairs, taking out the garbage, or leading Bible study. But sometimes you are called to a new task, and in order for you to do that well, you have to release some of your other responsibilities. We all possess only two hands. And if you are holding sheep in one hand and some wedges of cheese in the other, you cannot pick up the stones and hold a slingshot. I know that some of you have a lot on your plate. I know for many of you, your jobs, your kids' activities, and other responsibilities make it hard for you to serve in the ministries of the church. I don't have easy answers for you, but I want to encourage you, especially during this Lenten season of reflection, to consider what ministry God is calling you to now, at this time, in this season of life, and consider if there are responsibilities that you can release, or at least prune, so that you might more faithfully and fully answer the call that God has in your life right now. Fourth, David picking up the stones rather than a sword tells us that David is able to view the situation theologically. He chose stones over sword and spear and javelin, not only because he was not used to those weapons, but because he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. He boldly tells King Saul that he will beat Goliath because the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's confidence is not in his own power. It's not in his ability to throw the stone. It's not in him. His confidence is in God. He recognizes, he testifies here, that it was God who gave him the victory over the lion and the bear And through that experience, he has come to know that it is the strength of God and not his own strength. Everyone else saw the situation politically and in military terms. David is, Goliath is bigger and stronger, technologically more advanced. But David sees the situation through the eyes of faith. Goliath calls the armies of Israel as the servants of Saul, a weak army serving a weak king. But David knows that these are not just soldiers serving a king. They are not the servants of Saul. They are not even the armies of Israel. But David says this, these are the armies of the living God. He knows the living God. He has experienced his deliverance in the past, and so he is able to trust God in this moment. Those who continue to read this story only in terms of military tactics and attribute the outcome of the battle to superior tactical movements entirely miss the point of the story. The outcome of the battle is in God's hands, not in human weapons, not in human strategies. As Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by power nor might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Or as Jesus said in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. I know that all of you are facing challenges and difficulties in your life. But you also know the living God. 
as God, who has helped you in ages past, will help you now. God is stronger than your problems. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As God tells us in Isaiah 43, fear not, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Because, because, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And lastly, fifth, David's choice of stones reminds us that our lives are fully and always in God's hands. While David makes some choices, it is also clear that God is also directing his steps. Notice that David just happened to be bringing food to his brothers on that particular day. He just happens to go to the battle line like any curious teenager might. He then happens to overhear Goliath's challenge and the promise of reward. God uses David's family circumstances, his temperament, his curiosity and personality, his desire for riches, for a princess, for his desire for his family, and his work experience as a shepherd, a throwaway work experience, all to bring David to this particular faithful moment of picking up five smooth stones. Divine choreography and human freedom are once again both preserved. I think in the same way, I believe each and every one of us is called to a particular time, to a particular place, for a particular service. For Joe today, it's the call to serve as a ruling elder. But for the rest of us and for everyone else here, each and every one of us is just as surely called by God to trust Him and to do the work that has been set before us. Like David, God can use our imperfections, our mixed motivations, our past experiences, no matter how trivial they may seem, our personalities and temperaments, and perhaps most of all, our trust in Him to accomplish His perfect purposes. So let's do the work before us with confidence, with courage, and faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the example of David. That for the work that was set before him, you have prepared him for that moment, just as you have prepared all of us for the work that you have set before us. God, help us to reflect upon our experiences, to acknowledge our motivations, to consider all the ways that you have helped us in the years past. And so trust you today to go with boldness, with all faithfulness and courage to do the work that you have set before us, knowing that you will help us once again. Help us to rely upon your strength to do your work. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
At this time, if you will turn into uh, your bulletin inserts, and we will proceed now to ordain and install Joe Kang to the office of ruling elder of this church. There are different gifts. There are different ways of serving God. God works through each person in a unique way. To each is given a gift of the Spirit. Together, we are the body of Christ. Though we have different gifts, together we are a ministry of reconciliation led by the risen Christ. We work and pray to make Christ's church useful in the world. And we call men and women to faith so that in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Within our common ministry, some members are chosen for particular work as ministers of the word, elders, or deacons. In ordination, we recognize these special ministries, remembering that our Lord Jesus said, Whoever among you wants to be great must become the servant of all. And if a person wants to be first among you, that person must be the slave of all people. Representing the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the session of Graceway Presbyterian Church now ordains Joseph Kang to the office of ruling elder and installs him to active service. Joe, if you could come up. I have uh, nine constitutional questions for you, Joe. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge Him Lord of all and Head of the Church, and through Him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Do you accept the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the Church universal and God's Word to you? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? I do, and I will with God's help. Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? I will, with God's help. Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? I will with God's help. And will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, 
providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in councils of the church, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Thank you. Now I want to ask... Do we, the members of the church, accept Joseph King as ruling elder, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. Do we agree to pray for him, to encourage him, to respect his decisions, and to follow as he guides us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Thank you. Um, At this time, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Joe if you would kneel. And everyone here who is an ordained elder or minister, uh, if you would please come forward and lay hands on him uh, as we ordain and install him to this office. So I'd like to ask all of us just at this time to let's all pray together in one voice uh, before uh, I lead us in prayer. So if you would all just pray for Joe at this time, uh, all in one voice together. Um, Thank you. Eternal God, we give you thanks for your steadfast faithfulness to us. In every age, you have called forth leaders to serve you and equip them with your gifts. And so we now pray for Joe. God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit upon him, that he may be your faithful elder in this church. Give him prudence and sound judgment, wisdom and courage to order the life of the church in obedience to your word. Nourish him in the life of the Holy Spirit, that he may exercise the ministry of discipline with humility and compassion. Guide him in governance on this session and in every court of the church, that he may be a servant leader following Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life to set others free. Give him joy in his walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for his work of ministry. Gracious God, through the waters of baptism, you have claimed us as your own and called us to share in Christ's ministry. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon all of us that we may discern the gifts you have given, calling them forth from one another, and together use these gifts for the good of all. In obedience to Christ and in the unity of his spirit, may we proclaim good news, make disciples, be light and leaven, share our bread, offer a cup of cold water, wash one another's feet, make us strong in Christ to live as your people and show forth your saving love in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Oh, I just one word for you. Oh, yeah. Joe, you are now an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ, and specifically for this congregation. Be faithful and true in your ministry so that your whole life will bear witness of the crucified Lord Jesus. Congratulations, Joe. Um, what, 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 We have, a, we have a certificate, some flowers, a, and a plaque. And one of the gifts that we'd like to give to our uh, ruling elders is a ruler. Uh, as a reminder, um, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herd. So it's just a reminder of uh, the task of a ruling elder. This is, it's not a, he's not going to hit people with it, but just the idea that he is a ruling elder to measure our faith and our fidelity to the word of God. Now at this time,